Hi everyone and welcome back to the girl.gov podcast. I'm your host Rachel and today I will be speaking with Kate Torgerson, the founder and CEO of Milk Stork. Milk Stork is the first ever breast milk shipping company and since launching in 2015, their award-winning services have supported breastfeeding traveling moms at more than 700 companies and has delivered more than 3.2 million ounces of breast milk, helping traveling moms maintain their commitment to breastfeeding. Kate founded Milk Stork out of a personal need while working as Senior Executive Communications Manager at Cliff Bar & Company, and after the birth of her twins, Kate faced a four-day business trip but was not willing to sacrifice the breastfeeding relationship that she had struggled to achieve. Instead, she pumped relentlessly prior to the trip to create two extra gallons of milk to ensure that they would have enough to eat while she was away. Then, during the trip, she had to pump every three hours to maintain her milk supply for when she returned. After lugging two gallons of breast milk home and enduring a lengthy inspection by airport security, she arrived home exhausted, frustrated, and angry. There had to be a simple solution to this complex problem. She contacted her father, Silicon Valley veteran Mike Torgerson, with her idea and together they created Milk Stork. Within a few days, they had landed their very first enterprise partner, one of the world's largest consulting firms. Since then, the company has become an essential benefit for progressive, family-friendly companies supporting more than 850 employees, including Salesforce, SAP, Pinterest, Home Depot, Major League Baseball, and many others. In 2021, Milk Stork shipped 21 gallons of breast milk back from the Tokyo Olympic and Paralympic Games. An advocate for working mothers, Kate has made it her mission to normalize pumping and motherhood in the workplace. When she isn't brainstorming innovative solutions to make breastfeeding logistics easier, Kate is busy shuttling her three kids to their various sport practices, tackling her favorite Peloton ride, or trying desperately to get eight uninterrupted hours of sleep. Her favorite quote is from her eight-year-old daughter Zoe, and it's, I'm fast, smart, strong, and brave. And with that being said, let's get into the episode. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about yourself and Milk Stork. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm Kate Torgerson. I'm the founder and CEO of Milk Stork, and I am mom to Jax, Finn, and Zoe. <laughs> love that. Um, and can you tell me, like, what, what's the story behind Milk Stork? What is it, and what's your why, and who do you guys serve? Sure. So Milk Stork is the first breast milk shipping company. We serve families who are looking to continue to breastfeed their children, specifically families, I would say mostly in the working parent space. The reality of being a working parent in the U.S. is that most of us don't have great paid leave and we're going back to work right away. And that makes the breastfeeding or chest feeding relationship really complicated and it really steers everyone into pumping. So this is particularly difficult if you are going on a business trip. For me, the way Milk Stork started is I, I have three kids, as I mentioned. My oldest, I breastfed for 18 months, and I always tell people it was rainbows and unicorns. He <laughs> had a great latch, you know, no breastfeeding issues, no supply issues. I mean, we were just in a, a love bubble of breastfeeding for 18 months, and it was great. And I had, I was fully supported with pumping at work. My second and third babies came at once. They're twins. And I definitely went into the breastfeeding relationship overconfident, having had rainbows and unicorns with my first and breastfeeding twins was really difficult. They're fraternal twins. So they have different sleep cycles, different body types. One's a boy, one's a girl. 
breastfeeding two different people at the same time was really, really difficult for all of us. And we put a lot of time and work and effort and long nights and tears into it. So by the time I was about seven or eight months in, I had a four-day business trip and uh, they had never gotten formula. And I was pumping about a gallon of milk every two days. Wow. So, so the way that breastfeeding works, which you know most people don't know until they are lactating themselves, is that it's the supply and demand relationship at that point. So you're producing exactly what your babies need. And it's really hard to produce extra milk. And that's the problem with taking a business trip is that you are moving the production off site. And to do that, you have to add pumping sessions before you leave to convince your body that the baby is demanding more milk. And that allows you to kind of bank milk before you go. And then while you're gone, you have to pump on the same nursing schedule that you would have done your feedings at. Otherwise, you'll lose your ability to lactate. And it's really hard to get it back. Mm-hmm. So that's really the crux of the, the biggest challenge of pumping and breastfeeding that so many people don't understand and is just exacerbated by travel. So for me, I did it. I went on the trip. I had a really amazing workplace that supported me. I could have said that I didn't want to take the trip, but it was important to me for my personal ambitions and professional ambitions to take the trip. So I did all the pumping before I left. I generated two extra gallons of breast milk before I left. So my husband had something to feed them. I generated two gallons of breast milk on the go (laughs) at a conference that I had to squeeze into a hotel mini fridge and then take through TSA. And it was a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sounds like it. (laughs) And I, I, you know, I got stopped at TSA. I had a hard time keeping all that milk cold while I was traveling. And I just kept thinking if I could just get this milk out of here, if I could just get it home, it would solve all these problems. And so I came back from that trip and started milk stork the next day. I think that's amazing that you guys are the first and only like shipping company that ships breast milk. I think even though I'm not a mom myself, like I know so many moms, I have friends that are moms. I have obviously my own mom, I have aunts, cousins and stuff. And so I totally can understand that like being a mom never stops. And also you don't want to put your career to the side because of it. And I think having the services is amazing. Like in documentaries and in TV shows and like just personal women that I know, a lot of those conversations when having a baby, especially your first is like the conversation of latching and the conversation of like how that connection between mom and baby is like really important. It's, it's amazing that you're able to make a business out of something that so many people can relate to and so many people need. Um, And I also was watching some reviews on YouTubes of not only moms using the service, but dads doing reviews, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) Um, Because it's because like, like you said earlier, it's like for families, it's not obviously just for women who are breastfeeding, there's someone at the end who is going to receive that package that goes to the babies. I think that's great. Um, And where where is it available? If you don't mind me asking? It's available everywhere. It's available wherever you may go in the U.S. <laughs> mm-hmm. We ship our coolers to moms wherever they may be so that they can uh, ship their milk back. And then we also offer global services. So we are able to ship internationally. And it's funny um, how you said like TSA is already just a hassle. And like, I can't imagine going through that and having to be almost interrogated about your own breast milk. So I think that's, it, it's, it's <laughs> <think> great. <laughs> I think one of the really hard things about breastfeeding is that you constantly feel like you're the first person breaking ground, (laughs) whether you're going through TSA or 
breastfeeding in Golden Gate Park. I remember the first time I breastfed in Golden Gate Park, we lived in San Francisco. And you know, the stairs that you would get or kind of the gawk, gawk fest that would happen. And I'm like, really, mm-hmm. am I really the first person that you've I ever know. seen breastfeeding in public? It's just, you feel like you're the first. And it's mm-hmm. shocking to me that women in this day and age and lactating people in this day and age have to continually feel like they are pioneering something that hasn't existed for millions of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we'll definitely get into that later too, of just like the taboo-ness of breastfeeding. But I, I definitely want to ask, what does that process kind of look like from start to finish? Um, I know it's not just for moms, it's for families. And so mm-hmm. how does it, how does it really help and like impact even like a partner's perspective or like, just like the way that they're able to contribute and help whoever the breast milk is coming from. Yeah. So when I created Milk Stork, my goal was to make it as elegant and as easy and, uh, and no brainer as possible for the mom who is already sleep deprived. And I was, I will say I was coming that from a, a lens of a mom because that was, <laughs> that was my experience yes. of being a mom. And I would also say a mom of multiples. My experience as a mom of multiples was different than somebody that has a singleton. I had a lot of milk that was creating problems for me. So mm-hmm. it had to be fast, easy, simple, and just a no-brainer for her. So we ship coolers to moms where they are. They, they come with everything she needs to, to ship her milk home. All she has to do if she's using the refrigerated option is to press a button, close the box, and it's ready to go to FedEx. Mm-hmm. We also support families, um, and I would say we noticed this more during COVID, families were relocating and moving to other areas and needing to ship entire frozen stashes of milk. So we started, um, there was this great migration that happened during COVID of people <laughs> moving to other areas and we started shipping high volume um, frozen stashes. Mm-hmm. And that also enabled us to better support families using surrogates. So a lot of families using surrogates will continue at, after the baby's born to receive milk shipments from the surrogate, which is, I mean, they're already the most amazing people on the earth. And now for them to be providing breast milk on top of that for a period of time after the birth, is amazing. So we want that experience to be super simple for surrogates because, you know, they're batching and sending milk probably on a weekly basis. Um, and it shouldn't be added effort on their part. It should be seamless and easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a lot of families supporting, um, we do a lot of support of surrogates. Mm-hmm. And no, I think, I think that's amazing that, um, that's definitely an option. And I think just on like the topic of donating milk, um, I, I don't know how I come across these things, but I <laughs> like on, on TikTok and like on just like interviews with people of women who do produce, um, extra milk or milk that their, their babies might not need. Um, so they donate it. What, what does that process kind of look like? Cause I know for like uh, a surrogate, it's coming from the person who birthed a child, but for someone who's donating it for another person, um, how does that kind of look like? Yeah. So I would say when it comes to breast milk donation, a lot of that is happening locally through local milk banks. And what's amazing, there's, I believe, 31 nonprofit milk banks in the U.S. located oh, wow. throughout um, the country. And they actually have depots where people can, you have to become a qualified donor through the milk bank. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have to go through a blood panel to make sure that you can be a safe donor. And then you're actually able to make deposits of milk 
often at local businesses. And then that milk is sent to milk banks. Right now, we don't provide a solution for milk banks, but we are constantly talking to milk banks to see if there's a way that we can support them. Because um, we know our moms and families would be such great donors. So it's something that, um, it's uncharted territory, but something I'm really excited to support. And there is a donor breast milk shortage happening right now. So now more than ever, it's a great time for us to kind of look at ways we can support them or our moms can support them. Does Milk Stork offer like other resources or services? So during the pandemic, you know, I think we saw really hard things happening for working families, specifically working moms. And what we did is we, we know of so many great companies that are offering innovative benefits that can really assist parents um, with lactation and also other services. So we started partnering with them and then bringing those partners into what we call our flock and then bringing those to, to employers so that they had a way of supporting whether, whether that was uh, virtual lactation support, breast milk nutritional testing, um, making sure that moms were able to easily order breast pumps and through insurance, which is harder than you think it should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And then also in the beginning of the pandemic, even working with childcare providers to see if there was a way that we could find some way to deliver backup childcare or mm-hmm. childcare in general during the, during COVID. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't think I mentioned this before, but um, I used to work for a physician's office and I worked very closely with our prenatal team. So yeah, ordering breast pumps is not easy (laughs) and um, it takes a little, yeah, it, it takes a little time. I really, really appreciate like how we talked about earlier, just about like paternity leave and maternity leave. Like it's not ideal in the United States. Um, So definitely partnering with like companies and making sure that they're offering these services to their parents. I think that's amazing. And I think it's a great benefit to have and it's a benefit to the company as well. Um, And I know that there's pumping rooms in certain companies. I know there were some in my and uh, my previous company that I had worked for. I mean, maybe just like, I know this isn't one of the questions we have, but like, are there ways that companies can kind of help with that transition of parenthood beyond like the pumping rooms and adding benefits like milk stork? Well, I think the unfortunate reality about being a parent in the U.S. is that we don't have a federal paid leave program. So the burden does fall on employers to provide paid leave. So I think that's particularly difficult for small businesses. And so I just want to kind of acknowledge that reality for small businesses paying an entire paid leave is difficult, but it's also necessary if we want to, and I would say not, we're not talking about maternity leave, we're talking about parental leave. So mm-hmm. for mothers and fathers and all parents who are having a baby. So it starts there. I think employers where they can, and I hope someday that will change and the burden won't fall entirely on employers. What employers can do after paid leave is provided to make sure if they're actually required by law to provide a pumping space that's not a bathroom that can be locked, but you can go way above that, make sure that you have comfortable chair, clean surfaces, a refrigerator, lighting, climate control, that it's regularly serviced, you know, mm-hmm. that, that it's cleaned and that if there's a sink in there, soap is there, snacks are in there, that it's not some neglected degrading space that people have to go into. Right. So I would say that's one area. I think another area is listening to parents and understanding really 
I think that what parents' needs are right now have shifted a ton. And we're talking about people returning to work. And you know, for parents right now who have children under five, that may not be something that they feel comfortable with yet because there is no vaccines for kids under five. So I think we're at a moment where we should be really listening to working parents to understand what their concerns are because it's not old hat, it's not what it was. The issues that parents are facing today are entirely different than they were two years ago. Um, And I don't think anyone has it figured out. So I think really starting with, you know, surveying your parents, asking them um, what they need to come back to work. What do they need now if they had their paid leave, their kid's three months old and they're working from home? They're changing diapers all day. What's that look like? How How can you help them in this new reality? Yeah. And I think that makes a good follow-up question of like, what does that balance look like for people committed to both um, their professions and being a parent? How many people have kind of like benefited from your service and um, maybe even like how many ounces of milk, maybe to put it in numbers, if you have that. Yeah. um, We've helped tens of thousands of parents, uh, babies and families. We've shipped, we are just about to hit 4.5 million ounces of breast milk. So I was going to try to figure out how many Olympic swimming pools that is, but I don't, (laughs) I didn't get that far. And I'm sorry, what was the other question? Oh, no, it's okay. What does that balance look like? Well, if I'm being honest, there is no balance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we have to accept work-life complexity. I really, when I'm asked about work-life balance, I really think it's an ebb and a flow. I don't think that there's such thing as like, you know, some days you're just humming and you're getting your work down. And then other days your kid has an ear infection and you're, you know, and it's during a board meeting. There just is, kids are wild cards. They exist as wild cards. (laughs) And so I think it's, I think not, we can't pretend that there is balance anymore. I think what we have to do is respect people's parenting lives and respect the connection that they have with their children, whether that's feeding their children, you know, attending games, taking them to a doctor and, and respecting the fact that that is not gendered in any kind of way. That's a per, that's a parental experience of wanting to be with your kids. You know, if there is like a silver lining to the pandemic, it's that we saw working parenthood in full effect and in living color. And we saw not just working motherhood, but also working fatherhood, mm-hmm. which really hadn't had a light shined on it. And I think there is a deeper respect for parenting and being a working parent than ever before. And now is our opportunity to build on that. Like, let's not forget what we saw in our Zoom squares. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think, you know, just having friends and like people that I'm close with having kids and having to make that transition during the pandemic has really shed light on like just how important it is to not only be a parent, but like how hard it is. You know, I think anyone who has been working remotely can relate to either having some of their colleagues at home with their kids or like hearing their kids. So I I think everyone should have that uh, mutual respect. And I think it's, it's kind of the magical thing. I don't, you know, I think we're done apologizing for our kids showing up and asking a question during the meeting. Like it's, it's the human experience. And I think, oh, great. Like we can live that truth and that didn't Mm -hmm. get to, to be there before. So, and I think one thing that I always, that I truly believe is that being a parent and in my experience of being a mother, it's a power source. It makes me more ambitious. Mm -hmm. It makes me work harder. It makes me more efficient. It makes me hustle. It, I know hard work. So finally seeing working parents as not less than, but like superheroes. 
superheroes. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what they are. So you created this company that has helped kind of normalize breastfeeding while working still and committed to your profession. And you've helped companies come up with new ways to support working parents. Reflecting on the last six plus years of Milk Stork, what has that impact felt like for you? Gosh, it's nice to reflect on it because most of the time I don't get a chance. It feels like a huge success. I mean, I really do feel like Milk Stork has played a role in normalizing lactation in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we got mentioned alongside the electric breast pump. <laughs> and it felt like, oh my God, we have changed the landscape of what it means to be a lactating employee <laughs> and mm-hmm. that your experience is heard and you're supported. We have a long way to go, but you know, over 800 companies provide Milk Stork as a benefit. I, there's thousands more that I hope will. Mm-hmm. That to me is a, is monumental. Not just that they even provided the service, but working motherhood specifically is seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And the experience of lactating is seen and heard and supported. It's better than normalized. It's, I think, being celebrated. Definitely. And these are some big companies, IBM, SAP, Pinterest, Home Depot, Zillow. Like that's, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we have, my mission was to make sure that it's not just big companies, that this is an accessible Mm -hmm. benefit to anybody who has women who are, or lactating people who are hitting the road and and need support. So I have to give it to the employers. They, um, I think what was one of the amazing things that happened is that women started speaking up and asking for support. So they would use Milkstork and then ask their employers to reimburse them. And typically they would go to someone in HR and HR happens to have a lot of working parents in it yep. <laughs> just as, a, as, a, as a field and people in HR immediately understood this as a no brainer to bring on and acted as, you know, they were the ones that ran it up the flagpoles at these giant organizations and, and brought it forward. So it really has been a parenting community that's like spoken up, asked for the things that they needed and delivered back to kind of the next parents that are becoming parents. Yeah, no, I, I think that that impact and just like that, the advocacy behind it is, is really cool. Cause I think HR probably saw just like that immediate impact of all of its parents that work for them. So I think that's really cool. And do you have any tips for people who are breastfeeding while traveling? I have so many tips. <laughs> um, first print out the TSA breast milk instructions and carry them with you because you may be fighting systemic oppression going through TSA TSA checkpoints or security checkpoints. That being said, TSA is doing an amazing job. They have a program called TSA Cares and you can actually contact TSA Cares and ask for a passenger support specialist. You have to call 72 hours in advance and they will be at the checkpoint for you when you're going through. So- Mm -hmm. That's a little known fact. And if you've had kind of traumatizing experiences going through airport security, that might be something that you want to do and make sure it is in place when you travel. Other thing I would do is call your hotel, make sure that they are going to provide you with a refrigerator or a freezer and that it's going to be in your room and that they're not going to charge you for it. And then also make sure that they're going to be able to assist you with your FedEx milk store shipments and tendering it to FedEx. If they're not able to do that, make sure that you've scoped out some FedEx locations that are going to be nearby so that you have an access point or that you are using something like a milk stork pump and tote to carry your milk home. The other thing that I would do is I would download the MamaVot app so that you can scope out pumping locations on the go. 
and pumping pods. They have great pumping pods in conference centers, airports, and they're a great resource. And then I'm just going to keep going because <laughs> I think this is all, these are all the things that pumping people are navigating when they're out in the world. If you're going to a conference, contact the conference, ask them what they're doing to support pumping at the event and where you will go. And if there's a place for you to store your milk, you should not have to pump in a bathroom. And then if you're traveling to maybe like another office for an offsite or something like that, I would make check the agenda, make sure that they have provided 20 minute breaks, bio breaks every three hours. Everyone appreciates a bio break, not just pumping people. So that those are available and that you know where you can pump while you're in that office and where you can refrigerate your milk. Yeah. And, and like I said, like, I'm not a mom, so this is all new stuff to me. And I think this, like, if, if people are listening who have never traveled while breast pumping or breastfeeding, I think this is just like great information, even like for new parents too. And on that topic, how can dads or partners um, help support people who are breastfeeding and be their allies? So not just dads and partners, but all the things that I just said, don't have to come out of the mouths of lactating people. If Mm -hmm. you're planning an event, (laughs) assume that someone's pumping and make sure that there's 20 minute breaks every three hours and that someone is going to need to have a comfortable space that's private where they can pump and that they're going to need to refrigerate their breast milk or chest milk. If you are putting on a conference, make sure that there's places. If you work in a building, you know, wherever you work, uh, when we all return to the office, speak up for right now, breastfeeding is invisible. And unless someone's asking for it, you you never see it, but your voice is, you know, as an ally, your voice is as loud as a lactating person's voice. So advocate for the things that you think need to happen. One thing I forgot to mention earlier is that companies should have a lactation policy and it should be in the languages of the people that are their employees. So Mm -hmm. if you have a workforce that speaks several languages, make sure that that pumping policy is in those languages so that it can be fully understood by the, not just the people who are lactating, but by the entire company. So that helps normalize the experience. And I think, you know, if you're a non-English speaker and you're already dealing with the challenge of not speaking English in your office space or your workplace, and now you have to use, find the words to talk about pumping and breastfeeding and chest feeding, you shouldn't have to be in that position. It should be, Mm -hmm. someone should be helping you make sure that you can feed your kids. (laughs) So, and then I would say like, I would not have been able to breastfeed for as long as I did if it was not for my husband. He attended lactation classes with me. He worshiped the milk (laughs) as all people should. It is liquid gold and it should Mm -hmm. be respected as like the most precious commodity on the planet. (laughs) But he also was able to say, especially with the twins, that's a bad latch. Make, you know, it looks like you have a bad latch. He would, I could offload a baby to him for burping. And then he was responsible for cleaning all the relentless, endless pump parts, bottles. Um, he did middle of the night feedings. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's a team effort. Yes. Definitely. And I, like we talked about a little bit earlier, how can we help destigmatize breastfeeding? Mm. Um, Why is this still a taboo topic for some people? Why do you think? Because breast milk comes out of boobs. (laughs) If I'm going to, so so I think the issue, the, the issue around breastfeeding that is just the source of, it's such a, a much bigger issue is that it's the, the relationship that society has with women's bodies. Mm-hmm. And the, the 
women's bodies are really constantly having to navigate a male gaze. Mm -hmm. And so the relationships that society has with our breasts, with our, you know, if we're talking about childbirth and our vagina or our bodies in general, it's all conflated with the male gaze. So whenever something like breastfeeding happens and that's not how the world is used to seeing a woman's breast providing food, it kind of rubs up against that male gaze and it's uncomfortable for people. And I would say the same thing is true with childbirth. Like, oh my God, it's so gross, childbirth. It's only because there's a perception of um, women's bodies that, I mean, childbirth is powerful, amazing, incredible, uh, life-affirming experience. Mm -hmm. And it's the male gaze that makes that a difficult thing for society to accept. And I think we even see it, you know, you really see it when people are extended breastfeeders. So people mm -hmm. who are breastfed or chest fed beyond two years, people start getting really uncomfortable with that for some reason. And unfortunately, I think that really leans on, again, the objectification of women's bodies. And I don't know how we solve that, but we just have to normalize women's bodies mm -hmm. <laughs> beyond sexual objectification. They can exist right. in the world without being sexually objectified. They can be respected for the amazing things that they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, like if people like for myself, if I see someone breastfeeding in public, like give them their privacy, like don't <laughs> like, you know, like, I think it's, it's easy as that, as like, you know, letting someone be comfortable in their own body. And I think that's really important, especially um, like everything that you just said, it really just makes complete sense. And are there, are there any plans for the future on expanding Milk Stork? Uh, what are some goals or personal goals of yours? Well, it's, my, I mean, our mission, my mission, our mission is to create a world where breastfeeding and chest feeding is celebrated and supported as a superpower because it is, <laughs> mm -hmm. and that no drop of milk is ever wasted. So that kind of extends to making sure that employers are providing necessary benefits um, to support. And I hate, I, you know, a lot of the time I hear the word perk. It's not a perk. Yeah. It's the experience of being a lactating person in a, a workplace. There is support mm -hmm. that needs to be in place to support that. It's also speaking, you know, I continue to speak truth to power about paid leave, the things that parents are up against, making sure that lactation laws and like the Affordable Care Act stay in place, those all protect pumping rights and lactation mm -hmm. rights. So, you know, we have this ongoing advocacy. And then, you know, making sure that we're accessible to whoever needs us. And really that comes down again to employers providing milk stork, whether that's internationally or domestically, that anyone who needs it and who is traveling for the benefit of the company, the company mm -hmm. should be paying for it. The mom should never be paying for milk stork out of pocket if she is doing, you know, if she's traveling for work. The reality mm -hmm. is most moms are not really traveling away from their babies recreationally in those early right. days. They're only yeah. doing it because they have to. And the, the friction is if they don't, you know, they could, they could suffer professionally mm -hmm. or they have a great opportunity if they want to take advantage of. I can't wait to get to work tomorrow and see what, what benefits or necessities they have um, <laughs> for, for, for parents. Cause I, I have, obviously I haven't thought about looking into it, but I'm, I'm curious now to see, to see what that looks like for my company. And do you, do you have any advice that you kind of wish you knew before starting Milk Stork? So starting a company is mostly an uphill run. Mm -hmm. if, it, 
if it was all downhill, no, someone else would have done it <laughs> or it would have, you know, it would have been too easy. So it is an uphill run. And because of that, you, I think if you're just starting, you really want to focus on the things that excite you most. And I think this is especially true if you're a parent, a working parent who's doing a side hustle of some kind, you don't have that much time of your own. So doing the things that excite you will keep that momentum going uphill. And then you will have your downhills and you can you can celebrate running downhill every once in a while, but there's great adventure in it. And so you kind of have to just take it, you know, take all the hills and valleys. The other thing that I, I would say is that, and I don't think I realize this, you're going to get a lot of static from people. Uh, they're going to tell you that you're going to unsolicited feedback. It's a crazy idea. You're crazy. It's insane. Why would you do that? Like people will project their doubts and fears on you because mm -hmm. they wouldn't do it. And sometimes it will come from amazing people who you love, friends, family. Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, what are you doing? That's so crazy. It really doesn't matter what they think. All that matters is what your customers think. That's mm -hmm. the only feedback that matters. And you know, if orders are coming in or customers are raving about you or customers care enough to tell you that they have feedback on your product, that's the feedback that you should focus on, not the doubts and fears of people, whoever they may be. Um, yeah sharing that with you. I think yeah, every I, entrepreneur I, can say that yeah. they get a litany of uh, unsolicited <laughs> advice, <laughs> unsolicited doubts and fears, criticism, yes, and all the good stuff. And what, what are your hopes for future generations or even your kids when it comes to breastfeeding and access to services like yours? I hope that my children and or their partners are able to feed their kids for as long as they want to on their terms and feel that when the moment comes that they are done breastfeeding or chest feeding their family or their babies, that it was their decision and not some sad trade-off that they had to make. I also hope, you know, we are talking about the objectification of women's bodies. I hope for my daughter that her experience breastfeeding is completely separated from the sexualization of her body. Mm -hmm. we, my kids know what I do for a living. We talk about the power of women's bodies, what women's body, bodies do, that I had twins, two humans came out of me. So <laughs> I think ultimately, I hope that those taboos are gone mm -hmm. and that our bodies get to exist and be celebrated the way that they really should be. I We've talked a lot on this podcast of how like how progressive uh, Gen Z is and how like mm -hmm. excited I am to see that generation kind of grow up because we have, we still have a really, really long way on like the sexualization of women's bodies. But if anyone is going to make a big mm -hmm. change with that, I think it's going to be Gen Z. I definitely think that there will be some improvements and um, I'm excited to see what happens. I think also Gen Z will be one of the most informed, connected generation of parents ever to walk the face of the earth mm -hmm. and there's great power in that definitely do you have a favorite like success stories with milk store uh, was there ever a moment where you knew you kind of had built something amazing that would help moms through the process of breastfeeding oh so many I mean like even the first order mm -hmm. the first order when like you turn on the website and the order came in I was like oh my god I got an order <laughs> it's such a huge win um, you know, mm -hmm. oh my God, how do we fulfill it now? So there's like that moment, that first adoption moment, which is great. I get in mail from moms all the time, or I see people mention Milk Stork on LinkedIn. And it's just mm -hmm. so incredibly 
amazing to see that we've been able to help somebody parent be the parent that they want to be or be the mom that they want to be or be the dad that they want to be so that's great last year one of the things that really was awesome is we shipped 21 gallons of breast milk back from tokyo from the olympics so we got to bring home the gold the liquid gold for um, (laughs) folks that were in tokyo and that was a huge incredible crazy whim of an undertaking that we did in basically less than three weeks and it just felt like a great metaphor, I guess, you know, you have these people who are incredible athletes competing at the top of their game and they're, they're feeling a sacrifice of having to choose between breastfeeding their kids and going to the Olympics. So being able to help them felt like, you know, if we're helping them, we're helping moms traveling for work and it it Mm -hmm. cascades throughout working motherhood. And I think just uh, at the end of the day, like after listening to your story and more about Milk Stork, by you guys providing the service to to moms and to parents, you're letting them go out and still support like their own dreams and their own aspirations and like continue what they're passionate about. So I think just that in itself, uh, you should be really proud of it. I, and I think that's that's exciting. And it's, it's cool that there are people who are out there um, supporting working parents. Yeah, I hope that we're helping working parents, especially working moms have a seat at the table, because the other Mm -hmm. thing that I truly believe is that working parents are not just thinking about this generation, they're thinking 10 generations down the road. And so there's this hustle and instilled accountability for the products they make, the services they bring forward, the leadership Mm -hmm. that they have, and the world's just a better place when working parents are sitting at a table, especially working moms. Agree. My last question for you, um, where can people learn more about Milk Stork? Um, What is your website and social media? So we are milkstork.com, M-I-L-K-S-T-O-R-K.com. We're on Instagram at Milk Stork. That's our handle, Twitter at Milk Stork. Milk like you drink, stork that flies in the air. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for coming on. This is a really exciting episode and I love learning more about Milk Stork and your personal story. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I will talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.